This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. And now that the FDA has approved the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the governor says that is huge. Floridians, if, if all goes to plan, you should start seeing Johnson & Johnson sometime next week. Ron DeSantis was at a senior community in Brooksville Wednesday to open another vaccination site and to identify that mysterious sound in the background. And what I would tell people is, um, when you back up, a golf cart makes a noise. DeSantis also took the opportunity to attack Congressman Charlie Crist, who has accused the governor of playing politics with his choice of vaccination sites. There's some people who are more upset at me for vaccinating seniors than they are for other governors whose policies have killed seniors. And that is a joke. Speaking of which, Florida added 129 names to the list of the dead Wednesday and more than 7,000 new cases of COVID. If you lost your health care coverage during the pandemic, there is an alternative. Tampa Congresswoman Kathy Castor says the feds have reopened enrollment for the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act is open for enrollment through May 15th. We're fortunate in Florida, we have a very competitive marketplace. We have a lot of plans. That's not the issue. The issue really right now is getting the word out so that our neighbors understand that they can go shopping and find an affordable plan. Florida Politics has begun publishing its annual list of the 25 most influential politicians in the Tampa Bay region. On today's Sunrise interview, we talk with the author of that series and friend of the podcast, Janelle Taylor. It begins with lyrics from um, a muse song called um, Apocalypse Please. It's from their 2003 album, Absolution, and and it goes, declare this an emergency, come one and spread a sense of urgency and pull us through and pull us through. And we put that in there because we thought that it was a really apropos way to kick off a conversation about how this wasn't the apocalypse, but there were days when it felt like it was. And these elected officials rose to that occasion. We'll also have your calendar of events and the story of a Florida man arrested after, well, shall we say, taking matters into his own hands as he watched a sleeping sunbather. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity, Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, February 25th. This is National Chili Day and National Clam Chowder Day. On this date in 1836, Samuel Colt patented the first multi-shot rotating cylinder revolver, allowing it to be fired several times without reloading. In 1839, the Seminoles and their black allies were shipped from Tampa Bay out west. And on this date in 1993, the Florida Marlins introduced their new mascot, Billy the Marlin. Florida's Department of Health reported 7,128 new cases of COVID Wednesday and 129 more fatalities. Our death toll has reached 30,878. The total number of cases is 1,886,000. But the number of new cases and deaths is down when compared to last week. Hospital admissions and positivity rates for COVID testing are also down. 
Governor Ron DeSantis is hailing the Food and Drug Administration's announcement that the single-shot coronavirus vaccine by Johnson & Johnson is safe and effective. Now, true, the efficacy rate is only 66%, but DeSantis says the vaccine completely prevented hospitalizations and fatalities, and he believes it could be available in Florida by next week. And then we also have the approval of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. You see there was an initial uh, assessment by by the FDA. It is safe and effective. And what I would tell people is um, when you back up, the golf cart makes a noise. But when you what I would tell people on that is just understand, because the way it gets portrayed sometimes, I don't think is is fair and I don't think it's accurate. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine was found to be 100 percent effective at preventing death and virtually 100 percent effective at preventing hospitalization due to COVID. So that is a huge, huge win. Now, they will say it was 67% in terms of preventing all infection, but just understand most of those infections uh, were mild cases, and even ones that were a little more serious didn't warrant uh, induction admission into a hospital. So the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it's going to be approved this week. They're going to start shipping it either this weekend or next week. I don't know how much we're going to get now. We're, we're hearing conflicting reports, uh, but we are going we to use that. We're working on how exactly we're going to use it because I'm, I'm mindful of if we set up a site or we add it to a site and people come, some people are fixated on Moderna, fixated on Pfizer, and, and we want people to make those choices. But I just I hope those choices understand that there's a lot to recommend from Johnson Johnson. It's one dose. You take it once and you're done. And the clinical trials were very, very effective in terms of preventing hospitalization and mortality, which look, yeah, no one wants to get infected with anything, but if you get infected and it's mild and and you move on, um, that's a win given that this is something that can obviously be more more threatening to people. So I think the J&J is gonna be really good. We're gonna work to see exactly how we use it, but um, we are gonna use it and we're gonna make that available for folks, um, perhaps in pharmacies, perhaps with doctor's offices. We're going through those right now, but uh, Floridians, if, if all goes to plan, you should start seeing Johnson & Johnson sometime next week. Shots are still reserved for seniors, and the governor has not announced his plan for expanding the pool to younger ages when enough seniors are vaccinated. But DeSantis says the data will tell them when it's time. So we're going to do it based on the facts and circumstances on the ground, based on vaccine availability and based on progress getting through the 65 and plus population. And we have well over 2 million seniors. We're going to have hundreds of thousands of more over the next however many days. And and hopefully we get in that spot. I did say announced yesterday in Miami, given that we have these federal sites, you know, we are going to be able to offer uh, starting next week, and we'll have more announcement on that at the beginning uh, beginning of the week, uh, law enforcement and classroom teachers age 50 and up. And we think we can do that given the additional vaccine without it impinging on the, on the senior population. And then once we get to the point of the senior population where we start to see the demand uh, go down, then we obviously are going to lower the age um, and get people at a minimum 60 and then and then maybe even 55 right off the bat. But it really is dependent on making sure we have the supply and doing that. What I didn't want to do is say, OK, everyone sign up who's 50, 55 or above, and then people sign up and then the vaccine supply not be there. Uh, so we're very methodical with it. We look at the numbers every day, of course, monitoring the percentage of seniors in each county that have got that have been vaccinated. Um, but we have been very steadfast in, in putting seniors first. But you are going to start to see some of And then what's going to happen, I think it'll happen very quickly 
if the Pfizer is really uh, increased as much as we think it may be and the J&J, then all of a sudden you're going to have a lot more options where you have hundreds of thousands more potentially that will be available in Florida on a weekly basis. And so that will make a really big difference. If you're a senior and have not been able to make an appointment, the governor's urging you to hang in and keep trying because more vaccines are coming and you are still the priority now. A lot of people lost their health insurance when they lost their jobs during the COVID crisis, but you still have a chance to get coverage. Tampa Congresswoman Kathy Castor says President Biden opened a new window where you can sign up for the Affordable Care Act instead of waiting till the usual enrollment period at the end of the year. You know, there's so much focus right now on uh, the COVID vaccine, rightfully so. But there is something more fundamental at play when you're talking about taking care of of the public health and taking care of your personal health, and that is affordable health care coverage. And for too long, it has not been available uh, to Floridians. Uh, here is some good news for Florida families. The, the, the Affordable Care Act is open for enrollment through May 15th. This is your chance to find an affordable plan to shop. We're fortunate in Florida, we have a very competitive marketplace. We have a lot of plans. That's not the issue. The issue really right now is getting the word out so that our neighbors understand that they can go shopping and find an affordable plan. And the estimates are that many, uh, unfortunately due to their job loss or their decrease in salary, they will find some tax credits and their coverage could be very minimal, very meaning that it would be low cost or no cost. Dr. Jason Wilson at Tampa General says the Affordable Care Act is just what the doctor ordered, and it's even more important during the pandemic. You know, as we ramp up these scientific vaccines medically, I consider this like the financial vaccine or the vaccine against the other part of this calamity and this catastrophe. Over the last decade, the Affordable Care Act has changed the landscape of emergency medicine. It doesn't look special or different. It doesn't say Obamacare at the very top of it or anything. You know, it just means that I can make decisions that I won't put you in financial jeopardy. And look, in an emergency department, we treat everybody who comes to the door and we essentially treat them the same. But when I think about what is best for you next, what's the next step in your care? I don't want to make a decision that's going to bankrupt you or your family. And I don't want you to have to worry about a decision that's going to bankrupt you or your family. I want to be able to think about the best medical decision for you. And what we know is that uh, the Affordable Care Act has provided a safety net. Uh, It's provided a way to help us help patients make great decisions. And that's really what's been uh, sort of lacking what we're still struggling with this entire pandemic is giving people the tools to make good decisions for their health and for their families. And this helps that. If you want to sign up, you don't have to go it alone. Jody Ray is with a group called Florida Covers Kids and Families. They work as navigators. Their job is to guide you through the sign-up to find the best deal on insurance. During this special open enrollment, which um, the president uh, signed uh, with an executive order, it's intended, you know, obviously to address the growing number of uninsured um, as it relates to the impact from the pandemic. We are seeing a whole lot of people that have been impacted and are losing their ability to depend on employer-sponsored insurance, which is predominantly where most people get their own um, health insurance. And so we have a lot of people who are new to these processes, new to navigating um, these enrollment systems outside of a job and need a lot of assistance um, and information. So, you know, I think it's both important for people to know that this open enrollment period has started 
And then they have three months to um, to apply and uh, pick a plan. But that, um, you know, they uh, will be able to more likely qualify for something that can be pretty affordable. Like you said, um, I think what uh, I, I heard from the administration is that they're they're saying that, you know, most people can get a plan that would be fifty dollars or less once you look at cost-sharing and tax credits. You can find a navigator to help you sign up free of charge at CoveringFlorida.org, or the phone number is 877-813-9115. Every year, Florida Politics publishes a list of the 25 most influential politicians in the Tampa Bay region, unveiling the names one by one over a three-day period. My colleague Janelle Taylor's series of stories began yesterday and will wrap up tomorrow. There are certainly a lot to choose from, and 25 sounds like a pretty big number that should cover you know, most of the, the players you would expect to see on the list, and to some extent it does. But um, you know, there, are, there are local elected officials um, in, in lower-level positions that you wouldn't expect to see on that type of influential list who sometimes uh, make it there for various different reasons. We've had school board members on it in the past, for example, and, and that's kind of one of those things where you don't often hear a lot about school board members. So there really is a, a giant pool of political talent to pull from in the Tampa Bay area, it being, of course, one of the biggest, um, most populous regions in the state. Uh, but this year's, uh, this year's list was a little bit different because it really look at who ended up on the list uh, a lot of it is driven by reactions and policy decisions that are related to COVID-19. And I don't want to give any spoilers to the list since it um, hasn't all been released yet. <laughs> but there is one notable person on the list, or, or not on the list, rather, um, that really is probably related to COVID-19. Uh -huh. I said not a spoiler, but I bet a lot of people can read between the lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, and both, I mean, the, the Tampa mayor and the St. Pete mayor both had to step up during that whole time, so they've got to have made the list, right? I mean, that, this was really I a time for local officials to step forward throughout the state, not just Tampa. Exactly, and you and you see a lot of local elected officials on the list. Um, there again, I'm I'm not going to name names. By the time this airs, there are some that will have already been um, been put out there. Um, Ken Welch is one of them. He was a Pinellas County Commissioner at the time um, last year during the the peak of all of the decision making related to COVID-19. So he made his way onto the list. Uh, there's a Tampa City Council member who, who we've already published. Louis Vieira, again, was an instrumental part in local policy making as it relates to things like mask orders and, and shutdowns, when to close, when to reopen, how to do it safely. Um, so, yes, a lot of those decisions were driven at the local level. So you do see a lot of local elected officials represented in this year's list. What's the balance between federal, state and local? Is there someone from everywhere or, or is there one that has a dearth of people in there? There's a sprinkling of just about everything. These are people that are, um, you know, from the local city council level all the way up to um, state representatives, legislative leadership. Uh, there are members of Congress on the list. Um, again, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but I, I think this year's list is less about who's on it and more about who's not. Can you tell us anyone who's not at this point or is that yet to come out? No, no, I'm not. I'm not giving it away. People, people have to follow. They can follow along, hour by hour, as we release them, starting from the bottom to the top, um, by following the hashtag on Twitter. 
uh, hashtag top 25 NTB. And we are running them every hour at the top of the hour. So people basically have to wait till Friday to figure out who didn't make the list is what you're saying. Yes. Although as we start getting into the top 10 and then even into the top five, I think you'll be able to start kind of guessing where it's where it's headed. <laughs> so when, when people find out they're going to be on this list or off this list, what kind of reactions do you get? You know, I joke about this list. I, I've done several of these in, during my tenure with Florida politics, going all the way back to when it was St. Peter's blog. And, and not even just this list specifically, but lists like it. And I find that I get more comments, not necessarily positive, based on these profiles than I do for stories that somebody might perceive as negative about them. Maybe there's some sort of scandal or something. It's like they're resigned that that's going to happen. But yet when something is positive written, all of a sudden my phone blows off the hook. Well, how come you didn't talk about this policy that I supported? Or how come you didn't mention this award that I won? And I'm like, wow, people just say thanks. (laughs) 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 It's it's a pretty funny phenomenon. (laughs) So a very ego-driven response, is, I guess, is what you're saying. I mean, I don't want to go as far as saying that, but these are these are tireless public servants who are constantly facing criticism. They have incredibly hard and very thankless jobs. So when they have an opportunity to be recognized for the work that they do for their constituencies, and it's not really a partisan type of thing, it's really just looking at policy and community and the type of service that you provide – I can totally understand how somebody in that situation would want to really have all of their banner accomplishments highlighted. And it's and and none of these people call and are mean about it. They just they just would like, hey, can you please mention um, that I that I also worked on this initiative or something? And they're just things that they're proud of. And it's a rare opportunity to have a spotlight shown on it. So I, I totally understand why why that happens. I, I don't begrudge it, but I do find it hilarious. I mean, I had a funny like reference to the apocalypse, but that's not that's not necessary. All references to the apocalypse are funny, especially <laughs> oh, <Lord>. now. <laughs> I so at the so at the top of our uh, at the top of our main story for this list. So we have individual profiles for all 25 people who made the cut, and then we have a 26 story that ran this morning. Um, that that just outlines what the list is, how how the people were chosen, things like that. And in that write-up, it begins with lyrics from um, a Muse song called um, Apocalypse Please. It's from their 2003 album Absolution, and, it's, and it goes, declare this an emergency, come one and spread a sense of urgency and pull us through and pull us through. And we put that in there because we thought that it was a really apropos way to kick off a conversation about how this wasn't the apocalypse, but there were days when it felt like it was. And these elected officials rose to that occasion. So it just felt like a very fitting intro to um, what really was a somber year of lawmaking. I promised Janelle I would not name the big kahuna left off the list of Tampa Bay's most influential politicians. But, you know, she never said anything about giving you a clue. And what I would tell people is um, when you back up, a golf cart makes a noise. Your calendar of events and the mandatory Florida Man story is next, right after a message from the sponsors. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. 
Your daily political calendar begins at 9 this morning when the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission starts a two-day online meeting. The agenda includes final rules about possession and sale of non-native reptiles. The Social Services Estimating Conference meets at 9 to analyze caseloads and expenditures in the TANF program. That stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Gulf Power holds an online economic symposium at 10. The Florida League of Cities holds a media availability at 9.30 to discuss priorities for the 2021 session. The Florida Supreme Court releases opinions at 11. The Department of Environmental Protection's Watershed Assessment Section holds an online meeting at 2. The Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 2 to talk about Indian gaming and slot machines. The North Central Florida Regional Planning Council meets online at 7. And State Senator Bobby Powell and Representative Matt Wilhite are holding a virtual town hall at 7 tonight to talk about their bills for the upcoming legislative session. And finally today, deputies say they arrested a Florida man after he masturbated in front of a sunbathing woman and then got into a fight with her boyfriend. When officers arrived at Horseshoe Beach near Big Pine Key, several people were restraining 56-year-old Amado Dominguez Quevedo. The victim told deputies she fell asleep sunbathing and woke up when she heard the guy moaning right next to her as he was giving himself a hand. The boyfriend had been snorkeling, and when he saw what was happening, he confronted Dominguez Quevedo. They began fighting, and he bit the boyfriend. So Florida man is charged not only with exposure of sexual organs, but also aggravated battery. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 